Hello, kiddies. It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Three Guys in a Flick. The good, the bad, and the gruesomely absurd. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no, no, big no. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. The sin factor, it's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Scream. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a small town of Woodsboro, California, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm feeling fucking fantastic. How are you? I'm great. All right. And to my left, we have the Professor, Ken. Good evening, everyone. Tonight is our fourth and final round in our Halloween special extravaganza. Normally, this would have ended two weeks ago, but here we are. It was your choice to pick, and you picked Scream, Don. Why did you figure Scream was a good one to end on? Because I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about the films that we watched. And Cabin in the Woods necessarily wasn't a film that I would watch if I wanted to be scared. And then I started thinking about the other films that we watched. The Descent was scary. The Barbarian, I didn't really care for, but that's just me. But I thought, what movie have we not talked about? And what movie that I think still scares me or at least makes me feel uneasy today. And that's Scream easily because it was a it was a game changer and I I really enjoy Scream. Game changer is a great word to use when describing this movie. I feel like this movie when it came out in 1996 impacted just about every horror movie that came out afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Released on December 20th, 1996, Scream was directed by Wes Craven. Screenplay by Kevin Williamson. And it stars David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Aldrich, Drew Barrymore, and a bunch of other possible killers. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $15 million and brought in $173 million. The uh, director, Wes Craven, I feel like we've heard his name somewhere before. Oh, will you fucking stop playing coy? Wes Craven is uh, or was a modern-day master of horror. He is responsible for some of my favorites, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, for him to do this film when he did it, it was kind of like his second coming, his second act. I think Scream is one of the best 
horror films ever made. Well, he initially turned this movie down. Did you read about why he decided to make this movie? Why he decided to direct it? Uh, no, why? Uh, apparently, a young boy came up to him and asked him what he was working on. He really wasn't working on anything big at the time and accused him of going soft and that saying that he had not made a good horror movie since Last House on the Left. That apparently drove Wes Craven to agree to do this movie. Do you know when Last House on the Left was made? Mm -mm. It's like 1976, something like that. So uh, that little boy's a dick because how can you not say Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't good? That's what I was thinking too. Well, I think he was claiming that uh, he made like soft horror movies. He didn't make anything that was really scary. And maybe with the exception of the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't think the rest of them were scary. They were good, but I don't think there was much scare to them. But he had nothing to do with those. Yeah, so saying. Did you guys see this in the theater? No, I did not. Oh my gosh, I remember seeing it in the theater. Uh, when was the first time you guys saw it? Me? Yeah, last night. Oh, you had never seen it before? No. Oh wow, interesting. I rented it. I think as soon as it became available, but I don't believe I saw it in the theater. Oh, I remember seeing it in the theater, and I remember when after it all played out, I was blown away. I just remember when it first came out. Um, it didn't do so well, uh, and a lot of people thought it was going to be a flop, and and I had heard that it wasn't that great a movie, but then I guess word of mouth really sold this movie to people, and it took off. Yeah, back before the internet, back before social media, uh, it was word of mouth. Yeah, the movie did do all right in the box office. For being released in December, it made $39 million. And then the follow, and then the following year, it made like another, uh, like another sixty million dollars. So that's pretty darn good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's opening weekend, I guess they predicted it was going to be a flop because it did so poorly. Well, the joke's on them because yeah. I mean, look at it now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're not a very big horror guy. So I'll ask you this, uh, comic book guy: uh, What's your favorite Wes Craven movie? I will say Nightmare on Elm Street, but. Uh, if you want to go with just scare and gore factor, the hills have eyes. Wait, so I asked you which is uh, my favorite, right? Which is, I said, Nightmare on Elm Street, but okay, well you're looking at, if you want to say, which is my fair favorite scary movie, uh, slash gory movie. And that is hills have eyes, but that's not <laughs> what he asked. It's fine. He, he wants two answers. I'm classified. He can he, categorizing for what's your favorite. Wes Craven movie is? Okay. Yeah, he has all types of movies. Uh, Yes, he absolutely does. What is your favorite Wes Craven movie? A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. This is a close fucking second, though. Professor? Close fucking second. I I don't have a favorite, but I I will say that I did enjoy watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, there you go. Did you enjoy watching this? Yeah, I I think that um, I'm a little crestfallen because the movie had such a huge impact and copied dozens of times, and so much has already been discussed about this movie that the the uh, the wow factor of it was diminished. Oh, okay, okay. So you had heard things about this, you had just never seen it. I heard a ton about it. Oh, okay. Did good, you good. know that this movie was originally supposed to have an NC seventeen rating, and they had troubles getting it down to R? Yep. Uh, did you hear what they had to do? I guess. Um, Bob Weinstein went to the ratings board 
and told them that it was a comedy, not a horror. And when he said it was a comedy, they went, okay, well, that's going to make it different uh, requirements. We'll put it down to R. Oh, well, there you go. That's smart thinking. That's a good producer, unlike his brother, that other dickhead. Yeah. Mm. So uh, let's talk about this cast a little bit. Uh, as we now know, Scream goes on to become huge. Uh, four, five, six, so five sequels, right? Because mm. we're on six now. What do you guys think of this original cast? Well, let's talk about first Drew Barrymore. She was on all of the movie posters and was pushed as the star of the movie, made everybody think she was going to be the star of the movie. Turns out she's dead in the first five minutes of the movie. Ten. Twelve. Ten, twelve, something like that. <laughs> anyway. Yes. When you first saw the movie, was that a surprise for you? Absolutely. fucking lutely I remember sitting in the theater being absolutely surprised by that and the rest of the film. I had no idea who it was. I kept guessing. They did such a good job. And then the fact that there were two killers at the end, get the fuck out of here. Well, I love the fact of that you, you think she's going to be the star of the movie, you know, the main person, and then she gets killed. Everything's out the window at that point. I mean, you don't know who's safe, who's going to be killed, who's the killer, anything. The rules have all changed at that point. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what you think when you watch it for the first time. Was it surprising to you? professor i don't know if it was surprising but once it happened it's like oh it's got a psycho twist to it absolutely uh because janet lee gets killed off our psycho too yeah she's the main character that we have all uh hitched our wagons to and then to have that pulled away but wait there's still a lot of movie left how can this be exactly and And then from there you're just left reeling what'd you guys think of nev campbell she was good I was surprised how well she did in this movie. I know that when they were initially uh, looking to cast that character, she auditioned for it, and they thought, she's from Party of Five. She's not going to be able to pull this off, and they were really hesitant. And I think she she did a phenomenal job in this movie. She really showed she could. I knew her from another movie that I actually enjoyed, which was Craft, and I thought she did a good job in that one, but that's not a movie that everybody loves. Uh, I thought she did great, and I think she's in the conversation when you talk about Best Final Girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because technically, out of all the final girls that we know of, only two of them are alive. Laurie Strode and Sydney. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is dead. So Yeah, they basically seem unkillable. Yeah, they got to be in the talks. That's all I'm saying. And I think she did great with this role. The sequels, take them for what you will. Some of them are okay, some of them are really bad, but that's what happens when you keep going and going and going, right? If Scream was a standalone film, I think it would work very well, just on its own. Mm-hmm. That's so, what I think, too. Yeah. Even though I guess when Scream was made, they were planning on at least one sequel. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had already... I guess uh, when the script was delivered, the first part of, uh, like, the first chapter of the sequel was included in the original script and scream 2 comes out when like a year later a year later and (laughs) the funny thing is it's the top grossing horror movie for that year beating out scream oh yeah so you know because since scream was released in 96 in december then that spillover into into uh, 97 it comes in at number 23 there are two other horror movies that are above it and i told you the first one which is scream 2 at number 15. The other one in 97? Yes. From Dusk Till Dawn? No. Okay. It, it is, is The Craft. No. And it's at number 22. What is it? 
Anaconda. Oh, <laughs> I would have never, ever guessed that. Totally, right? <laughs> that, that's just like left so far in the dust. Nobody talks about that. Oh, geez. You also have David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Aldridge. I think that all of, and Jamie Kennedy. I think all of these guys played very well, uh, and they had a lot of great chemistry. And I think the cast was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, Matthew Lillard. Uh, he didn't even plan on auditioning for this movie. He was actually uh, came with his girlfriend, who was auditioning for a different movie. And one of the casting directors saw him, asked him to come over and audition. I guess he just blew them away. Well, clearly, right? Because, I mean, Stu Mocker is definitely a memorable character. And one of the reasons Wes Craven loves him so much or loved him so much was he was allowed to ad-lib a lot of his lines. And so a lot of those little catchy things that he says... Just on the spot, he came up with. Yeah, and he delivers some of the best lines uh, ad-libbed when they're stabbing each other. Yeah. When the phone drops on his head accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time he's on the screen, uh, he distracted me because, like, wow, Scoob. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard not to. I kept thinking that last night. They're they're shaggy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We saw the panel at Comic-Con last year. Uh, Do you guys remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember them saying it was such a great experience and working with Wes Craven was, you know, nothing like they had ever done and they were really thankful for their roles and what Scream actually brought them. Horror might have been dead in the 90s. There were, there's not a lot of great horror movies in the 90s and now you have Scream and to me it's in the talks of one of the greatest horror movies of all time i feel like around that time the the idea of a slasher movie was pretty much dead oh agreed and that's what breathed new life into the idea of the slasher movie agreed i was surprised to see that kevin williamson's writing debut was this movie yeah but he had done dawson's creek before this he had a lot of dawson's creek under his belt yeah yeah did you ever watch dawson's creek Uh uh-uh yeah me neither do you know what inspired him for this script? Wait, hang on. Did you watch Dawson's Creek? No, I never have seen one episode of Dawson's Creek. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I have not. Uh, no, what inspired uh, Mr. Williamson? Apparently in college, he had written a like a just a quick little script for a play of a woman getting her, a harassing phone call. And that's what he went back and revisited for the idea of Scream. He also did a ton of Vampire Diaries. And then he goes on to do a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And I believe some other Scream movies. Uh, I think he's all the way to the three. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's executive producing the newer ones, five and six, and I'm not sure about four. Let's talk about the one cast member that we never see in the movie, Roger Jackson. The ghost face voice? The voice. Originally... He, you know, his voice was meant to just be a placeholder in this movie, and they, they were going to dub in a different voice, but they left it in. What do you think of his voice? It's iconic. Uh, he's still the voice of Ghostface today. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that should that should speak volumes. Yeah, and I agree a hundred percent that that's the voice that you think of every time you think of any Scream movie. How much percent? One hundred percent. Just making sure. I I was wondering about that. Yeah. Circling back real quick to Wes Craven, 
do you think that because he had such a and I'm looking at you comic book guy do you think that because he had such a bad taste with the Nightmare on Elm Street series and its sequels that's why he insisted and kept all of the Scream franchise close to his chest I bet you're exactly the reason why in fact did you catch the joke in the movie that he put in there about Nightmare on Elm Street. And he wasn't sure if he was going to leave it in there. It's when Drew Barrymore's walking through the house and she's on the phone with Ghostface. They're talking about a Nightmare on Elm Street. And she goes, yeah, well, the original one's scary, but the other one, the, all the sequels suck. Mm-hmm. And it's because, well, uh, Bob Shea and New Line kind of fucked Craven right out of that. So, But they went on, made amends years later, and we got Wes Craven's new Nightmare before this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was a meta commentary on the horror genre as well. So it was, you could see a lot of uh, inklings or beginnings uh, to what Scream would be exactly. through, new Ni- yeah. through New Nightmare. That's a great point. Yeah. <sighs> Is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. I believe it would be trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown the master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. Billy tells Sidney that, that this substance was used as a prop for pig's blood in the film Carrie. Corn syrup. Corn syrup, that is correct. Billy and Stu are able to evade being caught for Marine's murder by framing which person? Her dad? Cotton Weary. Oh. Cotton Weary. Before settling on Scream, what was the original title of the film? Scary Movie. That is correct. And then it was ended up being used by the parody version. No way, really? Yeah. Fucking weird. The high school janitor, played by Wes Craven, is dressed up as this iconic slasher. Freddy Krueger. Yeah, him. Correct. Principal Hembry is played by what famous sitcom actor? The Fonz. Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. Let's say we're both right. When Sydney is first on the phone with Ghostface, she tests whether or not... Picking her nose. You're disqualified for answering oh, before I finish. fuck off. <laughs> Whose house does the big party and scream take place? Stu Mocker's house. Stu Mocker's house. Where did police find Principal Hembry's body? Hanging from a goalpost. On the football field. Yeah, correct. And for the final question, the use of this phone feature tripled after the release of Scream. Caller ID. ID. Mm -hmm. Correct. I believe because of your disqualification on uh, that question and the loss of points, we have a tie this week. So congratulations. He can't even let you win. In the small town of Woodsboro, California, high school student Casey Becker is home alone when she receives a call from an unknown person. They discuss horror films until the caller turns sadistic, threatening her life and revealing that her boyfriend Steve is restrained on her patio. The caller demands she answers questions about horror films to save her life, but she gives an incorrect answer about Friday the 13th and Steve is killed. 
Casey attempts to escape the house, but is killed by someone wearing a ghost face costume and her disemboweled corpse is hung from a tree. So a lot of the times when you talk about movies, you always kind of throw in the question, what's the greatest opening to a movie? And I've seen a lot of great openings to movies in my time. And watching Scream again, even last year when I watched it, I, I, I noticed that I had such a, a feeling of uneasiness and just the way the whole thing goes down. I would say that it is definitely in talks as one of the greatest openings to a movie in history. But that's just me. Do you know, did you hear how Wes Craven helped Drew Barrymore get into character? Yeah, he told her disturbing stories about animals. Well, he had found out that she was obviously an animal lover, and she had told him a story of some animals getting burned up. And every time she told that story, she'd actually start having tears in her eyes. So when it came time to get Drew uh, really upset and crying and screaming in those sequences, did you hear what he would do? He would pull out a lighter and just light the lighter and hold it up. Oh. <laughs> Well, it fucking worked. What did you think of this opening? I thought it was a great opening. Uh, it actually felt to me like a, almost like we were getting right into like an old school horror movie. Uh, the only issue I had with it was why did she keep answering the phone? After the first or second time, and if someone got really nasty with me, I would just hang up the phone or put the phone off the hook. I wouldn't keep answering it. Yeah, well, I guess that's an option, but in order for a horror movie to work, every yeah. once in a while you have to have dumb decisions. Yeah. So there you go. What did you think of this opening? I thought it worked well. The uh, the the tone of the uh, call of the first one is completely innocent, followed up by the playfulness of this of the second phone call, and then the third phone call. You're starting to think that maybe it could maybe be you know, a little friendlier and then to have it change, you know, over the evolution of the phone calls, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What I also liked how just right off the bat, they start working in the idea of, you know, you mentioned earlier, kind of the meta feeling of it, of they're, they're talking about horror movies. They're talking about like now she's in a horror movie, you know, they're playing with the trivia and everything. Yeah. It's one of the first movies to do this. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they name drop Halloween and Friday the 13th, that just goes to show the audience that they're more relatable. They're more real characters because they experience the same things we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought this was done very well. It's almost its own little mini movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, agreed. And it is shot absolutely brilliantly. It's paced wonderfully. Wes Craven knows how to build suspense and tension. And I think one of the best ways he does that in this sequence is with the Jiffy Pop. Because it builds and builds and builds. And it's such a subtle thing, just a bag of popcorn. Yeah, you can even see the fire. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it keeps building and building. Part, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And we, the audience, keep getting shown the popcorn. Yeah. And and that's all it's there for is to watching it build and then to have it smolder. And then eventually, it you know, now it's out of control. And I thought the line where he says, uh, you never told me your name. She says, why do you want to know my name? And he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. It still sends chills down my spine. 
it's delivered so well and the music cue and uh, Drew Barrymore's reaction. I mean, this whole opening just fucking works. I would agree that this is this opening alone grabs you and hooks you into the movie. Oh, Uh, you know, you brought up a great point. This could be its own little mini movie. If they had ended the movie with her hanging from the tree, it would have made sense. Oh, it just it worked. And it's the brutality of what you're not seeing. When Elise and I watched it last year, what struck me that time was after Drew Barrymore's character gets stabbed and she's holding the phone in her hand, we cut to her parents and her mom has to listen to her die. Mm -hmm. That is just fucking traumatic. Mm -hmm. Did you catch the part where the dad says, go to the McKenzie's? Just like Jamie Lee did in Halloween? Yeah, it's the same. You told the kids to go to the McKenzie's. I guess in Halloween H2O, there's a line where Jamie Lee says, go down to the Beckett's. So they went back and forth, which I I thought was a nice little... The other call out, obviously, is uh, Billy's last name is Loomis. So Ghostface catches Casey, hangs her from a tree. The interesting thing is the first time you watch it and you don't know that there are two killers... You're thinking, how is he all over the place? How do you know he's playing these games with her? Is he behind door number one or door number two? You know, how does he know she's going to go this way? But then when you watch it again after that first time and you know that there's two killers, you can think things like, well, he says, guess which door I'm behind. He technically was behind both doors. Yeah. So she couldn't win. Yeah. Uh, And just knowing that, like, how did he get the football player out there? Well, there was two of them to drag him out there. Well, I never once questioned any of that because you're talking about a slasher movie. Mm -hmm. And slasher movies, a trope of that is your killer has to have superhuman strength Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it... When I first saw this, I just believed what was going on. And then after you find out there were two, it just makes it smarter. Mm-hmm. It, just makes it, it, it just makes it a, a better written movie. The news media descend on the town as a police investigation begins. Teenager Sidney Prescott struggles with the impending first anniversary of the rape and murder of her mother, Maureen, by Cotton Weary. The trauma has made her unable to consummate her relationship with her boyfriend, Billy Loomis. As her father, Neil, is traveling for work, Sidney waits home alone for her best friend, Tatum. She receives a call taunting her about Maureen's death and is attacked by Ghostface, who disappears just before Billy comes through her window. However, she becomes suspicious when he drops a cell phone and he is arrested by Deputy Sheriff Dewey Riley, Tatum's brother. At the police station, Sydney is confronted by investigative journalist Gail Weathers, who claims that Marie had several affairs, including one with Cotton, and that he was wrongly accused for her murder. Sydney stays at Tatum's house but receives another taunting call from the killer, The calls are traced to Neil's phone, but the police are unable to locate him. So after Casey's death, we cut to Nev Campbell and we are introduced to Sydney. And we also are introduced to her boyfriend, Billy Loomis and her father. Did you know that this film was originally supposed to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. And they backed out for whatever reason. Well, they said that the uh, 
when they found out that it was a horror movie with murders and everything, that it wouldn't portray uh, like a wholesome image to the kids, even though later on one of the board members was arrested for beating his wife. Oh, well, there you go. So I mean. uh, Wes Craven was so pissed off that they backed out. Did you catch the special credit he put in the credits? Yeah. No thanks to Santa Rosa, blah, 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 missions board or yeah. control board or whatever. No but thanks, go ahead and read it for us. No thanks whatsoever to Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. Yeah, well, there you go. So we are set up, as you mentioned, now we're at school and everyone's finding out about the murder. Uh, what did you think of our introduction to, to our main characters? Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, it was a high school setting and we get to know uh, Sydney and Tatum and the whole gang. A lot of times in these types of movies, we're just fed really quickly everything that we need to know. What do you think of the pacing that came out of, you know, little, you know, at first we didn't know anything about Sydney and we find out that her mother, you know, was killed a year ago. And later on, we find out her mother was sleeping around. And we also find out that uh, Sydney helped put somebody in jail for supposedly killing the mother. And so little by little, these, these elements come out. Do you think it was better done that way? I don't know how else you would do it. Uh, I think the way that uh, Williamson and Craven tell this story is very deliberate and they are doing everything that we see on screen on purpose because they have such an elaborate roadmap ahead of them. Uh, they just lay it out first brilliantly. And I think that because of the chemistry of the characters and the dialogue, it moves at a really good pace. I really enjoy it. What do you think of the opening with the school? Uh, it was just, you know, I knew it was there for us to get to know everybody. That's all. Mm -hmm. Did you have any suspects at this time, Don, the first time watching? No, not even a little bit. You? No. I, I, I started to try to think, because I remember the first time I watched it, I had the mindset that it was going to be one person, and that it, maybe it was a typical horror movie, like Prom Night or any of those, where it's got to be a close-knit friend or someone in the friend group. So I was suspecting everybody. I was a little bit like Randy, who basically said, everybody's a suspect. Right. And so uh, Billy climbs into Sydney's room, and they're talking, and we meet her dad. And then, you know, he leaves. They talk about the whole sex thing and, and all of that. And going back and watching it now, it's all just a distraction so Stu can kidnap her dad there. Did you catch the call out from climbing in the window? Yeah, to Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the same way Johnny Depp climbed in through Heather's window. Yeah. And so after school, uh, Sydney takes the bus, goes home, but her dad's out of town. So Tatum says that she can stay with her and the family and she's going to pick her up after seven or at seven. I thought for sure looking at that house, you know, this white picket fence house with this immaculate lawn with a gorgeous backdrop of the valley. I thought for sure something was going to go down at her place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easy assumption. Absolutely. Which pretty much does. Yeah. I mean, she does get attacked. Uh, now, my, my thought here, was Ghostface trying to kill her, or was at this point, was he just trying to scare her? Like, was it the plan all along to leave Sydney for the last, or was it just, he just couldn't kill her throughout the movie? I don't think he could kill her. I think every time he tries to kill her, he is trying to kill her. They already have the dad. They already yeah. have the setup. Yeah, because I, I kept questioning that this last time I watched through, is 
was the plan all along to kill her last and make it look like the father had done it? Or were they always planning on making, obviously they're going to make the father look like he's done it. Were they planning on just killing her early and getting her out of the way? Um, yeah. So she gets attacked at her house and she goes up and she dials or she types in 911 to her program, whatever. And at the same time, Billy comes back through the window and we're kind of led to believe that he heard noises. So he came in, he gives her a hug and then he drops the cell phone. I mean, right there, they're telling you or they're telling us that Billy did it. <laughs> well, let's go back just a little bit. The fact that we get we get Ghostface calling again. Right. And so this is what we got to see with Casey at the beginning. It's this innocent innocuous phone call that next thing you know it's taking a really sharp turn yeah and you're right good point professor in that uh we get to see something about sydney that you wouldn't normally expect when he says that he's on her front doorstep did you catch that she said okay fine i'm calling your bluff and opened up the door she's got grit she's got moxie yeah that shows us right there she's a different kind of final girl yeah and I like the bit where she's on the porch and she's picking her nose and she's calling his bluff. Mm-hmm. But he was there. <laughs> totally saw that coming. That as soon as she's back in the house, he's going to be right behind her. And yep, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have a tussle and she gets away. And Billy comes in. He drops the cell phone. She freaks out, runs downstairs, and Dewey is there. Would you guys think of Dewey as a character? He was a lovable klutz. Yeah, right? Originally, they wanted him for to play uh, Billy. Oh, he's way too fucking old. I agree. He even thought so, too, and he said he would be better as Dewey. Well, the rest is history. Yeah. 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 And so Billy is arrested, naturally. They go to the police station, and this whole time, Billy is pleading his innocence. And I remember the first time seeing this going, oh, it's got to fucking be him. But why would they tell us this this early? There's no way. So I'm second guessing myself going, no, it's not Billy or they wouldn't have done it this way. I went the complete opposite way. Movies always love to put in these red herrings that they make you think somebody is the killer, but really he's not the killer and he's going to end up being the hero at the end. I thought right away we can write Billy off as the killer. I thought everybody was written equally nebulous, that e- each one of these characters, Stu, Randy, Dewey, any one of these characters were written bo- with both shades of suspicion and trust. Sure, sure. And and they go out of their way to call this out. So obviously they're doing it for a reason. So uh, Sydney gets to go to Tatum's. They're sitting around talking and the phone rings and it's for Sydney. If you're Tatum's mom, how come you're not asking who this is? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, especially with all the news hounding that was happening earlier that day. Right? Um, that, well, and if Sydney told the story of what happened to her, you know it started with a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before they went to Tatum's house, uh, they sneak out of the police station, and that's where we see Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we forgot to mention we were introduced oh so briefly to Gail at Sydney's house. Yeah. And Gail turns out to be another pivotal character for this story arc. Yeah. What'd you guys think of Courtney Cox in this role? You know, I, I was uh, not surprised that um, she was playing somebody like that 
I, I think that she is somebody, she's in the middle of Friends, and I think she's just wanting to do something different than Friends. And I thought she worked fine. Uh, speaking of Friends, uh, rest in peace, Matthew Perry. We will miss you, Chandler. Uh, she begged to be in this movie because exactly what you were saying, Professor, she wanted to break out of her friend's shell and play someone with a little bit of an evil streak, a little bit of a not nice to could be completely opposite of her character, Monica. Yeah, I loved her in this. I loved her in this. Uh, and she really did play such a selfish character who really didn't seem to care about anybody except her own fame. Yeah. So uh, she confronts Sydney and asks her about her mom's death or whatever, or asks her for a comment or whatever, and and Sydney just hauls off and smacks the shit out of her. Cold cocks her. That was a great punch. Oh, it was. It was brilliant. Yeah. It, it goes to, and it goes to show you again. Sydney's not your typical final girl. And so at Tatum's house, uh, Sydney gets a call, and it turns out that it's the killer again. But if it's the killer calling her and Billy is locked up, is Billy the killer? So they do a really good job of planting that doubt in our heads. Well, I love that they did that, but that also felt a little bit obvious. I kept thinking, how could he be making a call from jail if he is possible? Because I was still writing Billy off at this point. But then the call comes in. I thought it was a little convenient. Maybe Billy's back on my list. But later on, Sydney, when she questions him, I love that she brings up a point of he could have made that call. Yeah, he could have. But he says he called his dad. Mm-hmm. So, why would he lie to her? But as she puts it, they had already called his dad. Yeah, he didn't. His dad didn't answer. So she had kind of caught him in a lie. I'm guessing when uh, he had his one call to make, he called Stu and said, "Stu, call her. Do say this on the phone to get me out of here." Oh, sure. So that's my theory. Yeah. Well, there you go. We are also basically given another. I don't know if I want to call it a red herring or whatever. When the police release Billy because of one, the call that Sydney got at Tatum's house, and two, they trace the calls back to her father's phone. Well, we didn't know that it was her father's phone yet. At this point, we just know that it's not Billy's phone. Okay. After his release, Billy encounters Sydney at school and further upsets her by comparing his absent mother to Maureen's death. After suspending school in the wake of the murders, Principal Hembry is stabbed to death in his office. To celebrate the closure, Stu Mocker, Tatum's boyfriend, hosts a party at his secluded home. Dewey and Gail keep watch on the party in case the killer strikes again. As fellow high schoolers Randy Meeks details the rules of surviving a horror film, Tatum is isolated in the garage by Ghostface, who crushes her with the garage door. After discovering Hembury's murder, most of the partygoers leave to see his hanging body, nearly running over Dewey and Gale and inadvertently leading them to Neil's hidden car. Billy arrives at the house to reconcile with Sydney, and they finally have sex. Afterward, they are suddenly attacked by Ghostface and Billy is stabbed. Sydney evades Ghostface, who kills Gale's cameraman Kenny and stabs Dewey when he returns. Gale, attempting to flee in her van, crashes and is knocked unconscious. Sydney seeks refuge inside the house, locking Stu and Randy outside as they accuse each other of being the killer. So there is an 
awkward moment <laughs> in school. Uh, when Gail and Sydney are talking to each other. Or when Sydney runs into Billy. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah. Sorry for accusing you of murder. <laughs> but, you know, how come we can't get down? Yeah. You know, kind of a dick. Yeah, and, and he, yeah, it's a very douchey speech. Yeah. It really is. He and, does come off a lot of times as a douche in this movie. And if you go back and watch it again from the opening or from the first time you meet Billy, you know he's the killer. I mean, they are just flat out telling us, but back then we didn't either want to see it or we didn't see it coming. Well, right? a lot of times in these movies when they make it so obvious, your mind goes to, well, that's got to rule him out because that's what they want me to think. Yeah, yeah. And then once you find out it's him and Stu, you go back and you listen to the conversations and you're like, oh. So what would you guys think of Henry Winkler as the principal? Oh, I thought he was funny. Uh, he was very over the top and I think they did that on purpose to maybe put it in the back of our heads just a little bit. Maybe he's the killer. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, apparently they tried to keep his name out of any of the trailers or any of the early press for the movie because they didn't want people to focus on him. They wanted people to be surprised that they have brought in Henry Winkler into this movie. Yeah, but I think in 1996, no one gave a shit. Did you notice when he was looking, he was you know suspecting there might be a killer around, and he opened up his closet, what was sitting in his closet? Yeah, his leather jacket. His Fonzie leather jacket was in that closet. I never noticed it. Yeah. Did you see the foreshadowing when he was in ki- interrogating two killers? Yes. But at the time when you were watching it, I never put it together. Me neither. So. And <laughs> expelling students? I realize it's in bad taste, but expelling them yeah i mean he might have gone a little bit overboard but i'm sure he was a little emotional at the time two of his kids were just gutted and they were kind of shitty for running down the halls like that i know what kind of assholes do that the dead oh yeah oh i know teenagers teenagers (laughs) totally the next scene that you get is sydney in the bathroom and she ends up having to listen to those girls talk talk massive smack about her I know. Could you imagine? No. I just want to know, was uh, Stu or Billy in that bathroom the whole time during that? Well, how else would they have gotten in there? It's just crazy. Yeah. He's incredibly, patient. Incredibly good luck, too. Yeah. 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 The fact that knowing it's vent. I mean, were they in there for hours knowing that eventually she was going to use the bathroom? Who knows? And I'm also wondering, if they're in the bathroom like that, how do they know that it's Sydney? They have that slasher intuition. Because that's what I was thinking. It's like, how do you know that that's Sydney? Yeah. Well, he knew. And she gets attacked. And she gets away. You're starting to think at this point, well, Ghostface really isn't that good at his job. <laughs> no. So uh, the town goes on curfew. And school is suspended. So naturally, we should have a party. Absolutely. So Stu has a party and everybody goes, this is the finale of the movie and it all takes place in this great set. And this is kind of what slasher movies are all about. I want to get back to the school before we get to the house because we got to say goodbye to the principal. Well, I'm just kind of sort of curious. You know, I am really surprised that they chose to kill the principal. Why? 
I think why not? They wanted it part of the legend. They were basically at this point crafting their own horror movie, and he was just another person who uh, they were going to add to the story. Well, and they needed a distraction for later. Yeah, they needed to. They needed to have a reason to clear out the party. That's true too. Um, did you figure out? I mean, there are websites out there all dedicated to this movie that talk about which times it was Billy under the mask and which time it was Stu under the mask. Do you know which one of them killed the principal? Don't care. Me neither. It was Stu. Which I still don't get why. Again, he was he was going to be the distraction. I know, but it, it, it just seems way too elaborate. That seems elaborate? The fact that that death is going to be used to lure the party goers away from Stu's house. Oh, sure. Stranger things have happened. I think they just wanted another random killing. They just were getting into it. Well, the real reason is uh, Bob Shea or Bob Weinstein, one of the two, was reading the script and it had gone 30 pages without a kill. And he says, we need a kill here. And so that ultimately is the real reason why the principal gets killed. So nice little call out of Freddie in the hallway, too. I love that. I love that. It's it's. I remember watching that in the theater and cheering, going, "Yeah!" Yeah, immediately you knew exactly what they were going for there. Yeah. Uh, now we get to the party. Uh, have you heard the stories behind filming this party scene? No. Apparently, it took twenty-one days uh, to basically film this one party scene. Uh, in fact, it was so. Uh, I guess just long on the crew that they actually had t-shirts made that said, I survived scene 118. And that was the scene number for this whole party scene. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Before we get to the party, we get a couple of uh, bits with a uh, Tatum and Sydney. And then we get to see a couple of quick shots of scream there in the backyard. And then the, the one that I thought was ridiculous was the one in the grocery store. Oh, when he's in the reflection. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what, what are you doing hanging out at the grocery store and your scream coughs and, and everybody else? There's other people in the store, but everybody else is like, mm, huh? Mm. Well, they don't know. Speaking of ghost face and the costume, did you know that the costume was originally supposed to be white? N- yeah, yeah, but it was going to look too much like the KKK. Yeah, so they basically decided to go with black. And then I guess the mask is was designed to look like that a painting that's basically called The Scream. And it's supposed to represent uh, screaming, fear, uh, remorse, crying, all all the emotions at once. Yeah, it's that painting and the Pink Floyd album cover as well from the wall. Mm -hmm. We get one other brief little moment that we have Sheriff Burke talking with uh, Dewey about how the they found that the dad's cell phone is responsible for uh, for the calls as well as he wants the roadblocks to stay in place. And then he throws his cigarette to the ground and he smashes out the cigarette. And it's the same boot that we see that comes down off of the toilet in the school bathroom. Did you think it was the cop at any point? I thought it was Dewey. For for probably three quarters of the movie, I kept leaning more and more t- towards Dewey. Oh, he, really? He yeah. was one of my main suspects, too. I would agree with you because when, they, when I saw that boot and the fact that he... Uh, was so he seemed so childlike and so kind of just uh, out of it. I thought it was all an act and that he was the actual killer. Oh, I never thought it was Dewey once. And, and I didn't think it was the cop either because the sheriff, I didn't think it was. No, it wasn't yeah. the sheriff. He's too old. Yeah. 
And yeah. and Dewey, he comes out of the bedroom after the after the phone call is done. Then Dewey comes out, and so it's like, oh, Dewey just hung up the phone, and he comes out, what, what, what? Yeah, he was also right on the doorstep as Sydney is running out the house, yep. things like that. He's just always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now we're at this party, and they go through the rules. What did you guys think of this whole this whole party bit? I thought it was strangely amusing having Gail and Dewey starting to show chemistry towards each other. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that at all. And I was thinking, but you're the killer, so this must be a tactic for later on. Yeah, he's, you know, getting to know her. You know, maybe maybe she'll maybe she'll be down with it. Who knows? This, Dewey the killer. This is the movie that is responsible for their actual real life marriage. Yeah, this is what got them together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny that you know Dewey comes into the house and is trying to be like this big badass. I loved how the fact that he comes in and immediately says, uh, "You're uh, you're drinking underage." I'm just kidding. Go ahead and have some. What fun. the heck kind of cop does that? Uh, one in a small town trying to be cool. Yeah. I love how at first uh, I didn't think Gail was really interested in Dewey at all because she was just using him to get into the house to put in that camera. Sure. Uh, so I thought it was an act the whole time. And then I didn't read, you know, when they started hooking up, I thought it was kind of a weird twist. A weird pairing. Yeah. Weird if you will. pairing. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, I, and I too thought that she was just using him at the beginning, but you know, as the sequels go on, she wasn't. Yeah, we, we get Randy talking about the rules. And then immediately after that, then Stu goes to get more beer. Did you catch when Randy starts bringing up the rules and nobody knows the rules and he pauses the movie, uh, that he pauses it right on a scene that the killer is holding a knife up and so it almost looks like a knife is being put into Randy's back. Another kind of foreshadow for a little bit later. Yeah, this, this whole movie has foreshadowing in it. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, but before this, Tatum goes to get some beer. After Stu sends her conveniently out to get some beer. And this is where Tatum meets her demise. So what's, what's up with her? <laughs> that is so funny how she shows up in the garage doorway and her high beams are on. It must have been a cold fucking garage. I guess. I didn't even notice. Oh, you're such Wait, a fucking you, liar. I don't believe you for one, not for one second. Not for one second. So pretty much, it. I guess, going back and re-watching the movie, it was obvious Stu and Billy had set this up that Billy was going to be in the garage, and so he basically sent Tatum out to her death. I thought it was interesting at first that she thought it was somebody, you know, like Billy or somebody in a costume. Or Randy. She thought it was Randy in the costume? No, she she thought it was somebody. She didn't, I, I don't think she says who she thinks it is. But she does definitely say this is in poor taste, and if Sydney sees this, you know, yeah, your ass is grass. Uh, but it turns out it's actually one of the killers, and this is where she gets it. Yeah, she tries to flee through that pet door. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questionable decisions in slasher films, and this would be mm-hmm. one of them as well. But, you know, you're having so much fun with this movie, you just kind of overlook it. What did you think of the kill with the garage door opener? I kept thinking that the garage wouldn't have lifted her like that. I thought, would a garage still go up if something that heavy is caught it, in it? In the real world, no, it wouldn't have lifted her. In a slasher horror film, I thought it was a very clever way to get rid of yeah. one of the victims. Plus, uh, 
while they were filming this scene, she could actually fit through that doggy door. Well, if you go back and watch in a couple of the shots, her both her shoulders are out. So why can't the rest of her get out? But when you cut back, one of the shoulders is brought back in. So, And I almost felt, too, like when she went up and you heard that snap, did you get kind of like uh, Ghostface was a little surprised by it? Like that actually worked? I, I think so. Doesn't he kind of jump back yeah, like, oh, like, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I thought it was mildly amusing a few moments before where he sees her stuck and he just casually glances over to the wall where the, oh, hey. Yeah, very subtle, you know. And we also, throughout this whole thing, Ghostface has been kind of easy to knock down and kind of clumsy and this, that, and the other. And I think that goes along with the slasher trope. This scene kind of, you know, when she's throwing the bottles and she hits them in the balls, it's kind of comedic. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to do that because if not, all the other murders are just gutting, right? And that's fucking brutal. So I thought it was very smart of the filmmakers to add these types of gimmicks in uh, while still bringing the scares or bringing the horror. I actually thought of you several times during this movie. I don't know what that says about you, buddy. uh, In that you and I have both called out films of you knock the killer down or you have him on the ropes and then you run away. You don't finish him off. And that is something that does bother me in horror movies. But you're right. If they were to kick him while they're down, then we don't have our movie. That's right. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, why are you trying to get up? You're in a garage Grab a fucking baseball bat or a rake or something because and, you can really do some shit here. Cut and, him with the broken glass. And real quick, when did the garage door close? Because she opens it as soon as she walks into the garage. So anyway, bad decisions, bad move. Tatum's dead. In the meantime, uh, everybody is at the party and Randy's going through his rules and Billy, uh, Billy shows up. I love how early on when Gail set up the camera and then she got back out to the truck, uh, Kenny revealed that there was about what, a 30 second delay on it. And I love how you know that's going to come back. Oh, yeah. How I can mean, it not? Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, so that's kind of a no brainer. I thought right? that was kind of a clever little thing to add into this movie. Sure. And so uh, Billy comes over and they want to have a chat. And, and they kind of have a heart to heart. And, you know, he's so more than a heart to heart. And, you know, Billy confesses his love and he's trying to be a better guy. And, well, they broke rule number one. While this is happening, someone calls the house and says that Principal Hembry is hung up at um, the yeah at school, and so everybody leaves. And so now we just have Stu, Billy, Sydney, and Randy, and then outside you have Dewey, Gail, and Kenny, Kenny the cameraman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and in the meantime, Dewey invites Gail to join him for a walk to go check out this car. And when all these assholes are leaving to go check out the principal, they almost run over right. Dewey and Gail, and they find Neil Prescott's car. Yeah, and it's at this time, it's like, okay, so I guess Dewey can't be because he's not at the house, and there's shit going down at the house. Exactly, exactly. So Dewey is exonerated, mm-hmm. which sucks now because... He becomes a victim. <laughs> Originally, he was supposed to be killed in this movie. He was not supposed to make it to the sequels, but Wes Craven liked his character so much, decided to keep him around at the last minute. Right. 
him right. and Randy, I guess, were supposed to not make it to the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Billy and Sydney are done hitting it. And they're kind of having a conversation. And this is where Sydney is like, who did you call? And he didn't say Ghostbusters. So obviously the wrong answer. But in the meantime, Ghostface sneaks in and it appears that Billy would have gotten killed. Well, did you notice Ghostface slashes him and stabs him like five or six times. And when Billy turns around, and especially when he even comes downstairs later, there are no holes in his shirt. Yeah, I noticed that. But at the time when I first saw it, you don't see that right away. And I thought, oh, I guess it can't be Billy because he's dead. So well done, filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I did have, just to go back a little bit, I did have one other little pet peeve about getting everybody out of the house, right? They received that phone call. Randy picks up the phone. Why does Randy pick up the phone? He doesn't fucking live there. That's not his phone. He just goes over and picks up a ringing phone. Have you never done that? No, I have. I kind of felt like it all of a sudden became Randy's house. Yeah, sure. It's a party. He's drunk. Yeah, it's plausible. I didn't, I mean, I didn't take me out of it by any stretch of the imagination. I did think it was weird, too, that he did answer the phone like that. I didn't. I didn't think one, one thing of it. So Billy is killed, allegedly. And Ghostface is attacking Sydney, and Sydney manages to make it outside to the video truck and this is where we get the bit where ghostface is behind randy and randy's watching the scene in halloween and where someone's sneaking up on yeah it's a very meta he's like look behind you look behind yeah because they are it's they're talking to us the audience right and he's saying jamie look behind you and what's randy's real name Jamie. Yeah, it goes on and on and on. They even pay homage to that in one of the newer screams. So great bit. The 30 seconds thing comes back and uh, comes back. To me, that was, you know, I, I, we always talk about the oh shit moments. And when the 30 seconds, you knew the killer was going to be right, like right outside the door. When Absolutely. that van opened up and Kenny got his throat slashed, that was my oh shit moment. My, mine was seeing uh, Casey gutted and hanging from the tree. But this is a very close second because you're right. As soon as Ghostface goes out of picture, you have that 30 second delay. You're thinking, oh, fuck, he can be anywhere, right? He was. He's going to be right outside the door to kill one of them. And he does. He kills Kenny. Great effect. That's exactly what I saw coming. Yeah. Oh, shit. They killed Kenny. You bastards. And so uh, Ghostface chases Sydney through the van. She she squeaks out the back of the van, that little opening. Yeah. Yeah. And so does Ghostface for some reason. I don't know why he just doesn't go out the fucking door and around. But whatever. And then I want to know, this is right when, when Dewey and Gail show up. Dewey, you're a police officer. Why are you telling the civilian to go call the sheriff? Because he needs to get inside and figure out what's going on. His, his police car is right there with the radio. He's the one that's calling. Well, no, he wanted to get inside. And yeah. he does get inside, and it doesn't work. Because uh, when Sydney runs back to the front porch, she sees him but he has already been stabbed in the back. Well, here's my thought. And I don't know if we ever get to see like the outside of the house, but as Dewey and Gail are walking back to the house, wouldn't they see the garage door up with Tatum's body? I hanging? was wondering why nobody saw 
Tatum. At now, all. sometimes on houses like that, rich kind of houses, the garage doors are on the side of the house. But I'm thinking if they're walking up a driveway, they're going to see her. Yeah, no, you guys both bring up a very excellent question, and I'm going to counter with, it was dark out, and they didn't have the lights on. Oh. So they just didn't see it. We're just going to chalk it up to that. Gail, she gets into, she she can't find Kenny, and and Randy shows up, and we find Kenny on top of the van now. Well, I love the blood is coming. Like, she turns on the headlights, and she sees the blood on the windshield. And right away, I think she knows Kenny's on top of it. And you hear her go, sorry, Kenny, or what does she say? To you? Well, she does that after she's driving, and he's hanging down. Oh. But she says, sorry, Kenny, but get off my fucking van. And then Sid suddenly jumps out. Hey! And then, and they, yep, and and Gail crashes, mm-hmm. and so Sydney is making it back to the house, and she sees Dewey, and he's got a knife in the back, and then she sees Randy, and then she sees Stu, and then she runs and grabs Dewey's gun, and both Stu and Randy are accusing each other. No, it's him. No, it's him. No, it's him. And Sydney goes in and closes the fucking door. At this point in the movie, I figured it had to be either Randy or Stu. One of them was the actual killer. Exactly. Uh, that's that's where I was at, too. Were you leaning towards either one of them? Oh, Stu. Hands leaning, down. Leaning towards Stu? I didn't think it was Randy. I thought it was Stu. And, and at this point, I'm also thinking there's, you know, it's w- with all of the tropes that we have seen and 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 heard about the characters talk about, somebody's not dead somebody that's dead is coming back and i just couldn't put together who that was going to be because there weren't that many bodies before that right could it could it be steve it's no it i don't know could it could it be no it's not it's it's not going to be it's not going to be casey right but i knew that somebody's going to have to come back and i just didn't have enough time to think about it yeah for me obviously randy was was crossed off the list when we saw the killer standing behind randy on the couch uh, but before that scene, I really wanted it to be Randy because he was so obsessed with the rules and understanding horror movies and, and all of that. I wanted, him to, I wanted him to be that guy who wanted to create his own horror movie. Yeah, you're right. With us seeing the killer and Randy and then him outside, we as the audience know. But if you're Sydney, what the fuck do you do? And she made the wise choice. Lock them both out. Yeah, but how come she's not calling the cops? There's that too, right? So, what are you gonna do? And the cops would have been on their way if Officer Dewey would have gone into his police car and called for backup. But no, he's laying on the porch with a knife in his back. Good job. And it's at this point that somebody comes down the stairs. A seemingly wounded Billy returns and allows Randy inside before shooting him in the shoulder, revealing himself as the killer and Stu as his accomplice. Billy confesses that they killed Maureen because he discovered her affair with his father was responsible for his mother leaving. The pair abducted Neil to frame him for their crimes and proceed to stab each other to portray themselves as the only survivors. They are interrupted by Gail's return, which gives Sidney the chance to stab Billy and to kill Stu by dropping a television set on his head. Billy attempts to stab Sidney, but is shot by Gail. 
After Randy remarks that horror film killers revive for a final scare, Billy sits back up and Sidney shoots him in the head, killing him. As dawn breaks, Neil is rescued, Dewey is taken away by ambulance, and Gail provides an impromptu news report about the night's events. Roll credits. So we are in our third act, and we are well underway, and we have now been told that there are two killers. Well, before that, we see Billy coming down the stairs with the, you know, the blood on his shirt, the no holes in the shirt. Right away, you had to know this this is one of the killers, that he is not innocent. Oh, I think at this point, yeah, sure. I, I did not at any time think that he was genuinely wounded or... Um, just miraculously is now getting up after being stabbed how five or six times. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, two killers. What'd you guys think of this fucking twist? It was a good twist. It it needed it because they were seemingly everywhere. As we talked about earlier, I really did. I liked the twist and I liked their reasons. I like when they start blabbing the whole story and doing the Scooby-Doo thing of why they did it and blah, blah, blah. I just, I loved that whole dialogue, the way it was scripted. Oh, I thought it was absolutely excellent. And the whole confession and the way Stu is and how amped they're getting and how in control Billy is and everything that they've thought out and the details, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I love the line about horror movies don't make killers. They just make them more creative. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another good line where he says, you see, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, Sid. Yeah, and it really is, you know. And that's a callback from when Randy, I think, in the video store had said that nowadays you don't need a motive. Yeah, it's the millennium. Their motives are obsolete. Exactly. So already we're told that, so. Yeah. And so we get the reveal of Dad and the final plan. The the whole architecture of the plan is is laid before us. This is how it's going to play out. And then we get the stabbing scene. I didn't understand. This is one of the things that really confused me of why not kill Sydney, maybe kill the dad or wait on killing the dad, then stab each other. Did they think that forensics was going to check the time of when they were stabbed or something? Why would they stab themselves before killing Sydney? I'm going to chalk it up to a bad decision. Just like any other horror movie. Right. Bad decisions all around. I do love how it kind of felt a little teenager like of when they started getting into the little stab war with each other of they're kind of getting bitter with each other. So they're stabbing each other deeper. Oh, I, that was one of those impromptu scenes from Lillard and I, it just already hammered home the fact that I was having such a good time with this movie. And that's one of my favorite scenes. He says, I'm all woozy or they start stabbing each other. What they don't account for is Gail. They thought Gail was dead, but she's not dead. She comes in, she steals the gun, and then we have to have the whole she leaves the safety on trope. They get the best of her. They're about to kill her. And then I think this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when Sydney turns the tables. I don't know why she puts on the I don't complete either. costume, but, you know, more power to her method acting. I but have a she theory. calls them. So I have a theory, but I'm going to share that a little later. Why not just share it now? Because I'm saving it for later. Okay. Uh, I did think that was interesting that like she basically took the power from him. But one of my favorite whole of 
this whole part is when she calls them and she does that whole turntable that she's calling them and uh, uh, Stu's imprompt or improvised line of, did you really call my parents? That's, yeah. And he, did, he says, did you really call the cops? Or did you really call the cops? My parents are going to be so mad. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good, that was a good one. Meanwhile, Billy goes berserk and he starts stabbing the couch. Not He's thinking like, he wants to check the closet. I love how the feathers from the couch stuck to the blood that like the corn syrup that was on his hands and everything. So he looks like a little bit of a chicken at this point. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And so he's talking to Sydney and she's in the closet. She comes out and stabs him with, with an, an umbrella. umbrella. Ouch. That's got to fucking hurt. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Stu comes back and he comes after Sid and she has to fend him off. And then she kills him with a fucking TV. Who says that too much television can't kill you? That's right. Now, here's the thing, and I think I already know your thoughts on this. The internet has just gone berserk with thinking Stu is eventually going to return in a future Scream movie because we didn't see his double take. We didn't see him actually die. We just saw the TV fall on his head. Could have been knocked out. Could have been zapped or whatever. There was a couple of twitches in there. There were some twitches, but... Even Matthew Lillard said in our panel, Stu could still be alive and he'd love to see Stu return. He was feeling woozy. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever see Stu back again? Who knows? Because he lives there and the police are there with everybody the next morning and, hey, there's no Stu. Well, I just feel like if you watch the other Scream movies, they never address... Whether they say they talk about the death of Billy, they never talk about the death of Stu. So yeah, yeah they do. So do they? Or as far as we know, Stu could be in jail. Well, Stu they, could be they in a mental institution in this last one. In did you one? see? Did you see six? I don't remember if they mentioned him or not. No, it's five because they have the party at his house. Yeah, yeah. So they they mention that it's Stu Mocker's house, but you're right. I don't think they ever mention if he's alive or dead. So I feel like they've kept that purposely ambiguous throughout the movies that we may find out, you know, that Sydney's known all along he's still alive. Well, I guess we'll find out when Scream Seven comes. I feel out. like if they're going to ever end this series, that would be a good note to end on with Stu. I like how Randy shows up and how grateful he is to be a virgin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because he survives, mm-hmm. you know. And he says what we're all thinking in the audience. This is where the villain comes back for one final scare. And Billy does. And Sydney shoots him in the forehead. Before that, when they were tussling around and Sydney. Basically, I think she puts a finger or her thumb into the stab wound. Did you get that that was supposed to be her revenge, basically, for sleeping with her? That was supposed to be her penetrating him? <laughs> no. That, no. I, I did that not get that at all. That was purposely written in like that, that, that this was her taking back the power by penetrating him. I didn't get that at all. Uh, and so everyone's dead. <laughs> Except for Sydney and Gail and Randy and Sydney's dad. I do like Sydney's line too. I thought that was clever writing of not in my movie. Yeah, she's taking the power back and kind of solidifying herself as one of the strongest final girls mm-hmm. ever. 
I think. She's the most, I think, logical. She's the most... Uh, Level-headed. I'm going to control my narrative. I'm going to control my story. Yeah, and she and she goes into that in part five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too bad that they did her dirty for part six, but at least they didn't kill the character. So, who knows? Pleasant surprise to see Officer Dewey being hauled off on, on a stretcher to the hospital. He lives. That's right. Officer Dewey lives. And this is Gail's big shot where she starts an impromptu news report. And I like how she says, uh, everything that happened tonight is something out of a scary movie, which was the original title of this Mm -hmm. movie. And that's Scream. So there has been so much stabbing in Scream. It just reminded me of this time that Frodo got stabbed by the ring wraith. Wait, are we talking about Lord of the Rings? Uh, of course we are. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in the podcast where I compare the movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. In Scream, the closest thing to Frodo that we have is Sidney Prescott. She is our reluctant hero who carries a heavy burden. Like Frodo, she is thrust into a dangerous situation that she initially wants to escape from. And like Frodo, she has to endure various challenges to survive. Both Sidney and Frodo display resilience and determination in the face of overwhelming odds. Sidney's Samwise would be her bestie Tatum Riley. She's the one constantly by her side, always trying to lift her spirits and keep her going. Aragorn is a leader who puts his life on the line to protect those he watches over. The closest analogy to Aragorn in Scream would be Dewey Riley. While he doesn't tend to come off as the sharpest sword in the scabbard, he's virtuous, brave, loyal, and puts his life on the line to protect those he cares about. My pick for Gandalf would be Randy. He's the one with the wizard-like knowledge, trying to offer up advice to keep others safe. And like Gandalf, he appears to die only to resurrect later. So that would make our fellowship Sidney, Tatum, Dewey, and Randy. Gollum would be represented by Gale Weathers. Like Gollum, she's constantly lurking about, looking for any means to obtain what's most precious to her. To Gail, that would be more fame and notoriety. In Lord of the Rings, Gollum pretended to side with Frodo to get closer to his precious, just like Gail did the same trying to get her story. Sauron the White is someone who serves the Dark Lord Sauron. He initially aligns himself with the forces of good, but ultimately succumbs to corruption, showing his true colors. Early on, both Billy and Stu claim to be on the side of good, but really, they serve their version of a dark lord. This means both Billy and Stu are Sauron the White. So who is the dark lord Sauron? In any movie, Sauron would be the big bad who's at the top and is responsible for the most damage. In this case, that would be Ghostface. While we learn the killer is both Billy and Stu, as Ghostface, they represent one entity. Like Sauron throughout the movie, 
Ghostface looms over everyone, sharing a common thread of darkness, manipulation, and desire for control. They both represent the forces of evil that create a sense of fear and danger. So what is the precious? What is the one ring in Scream? In Scream, the best analogy or comparison to the one ring would be the ghost face mask. Much like the one ring possesses a corrupting influence and drives people to commit evil acts, the ghost face mask has become a symbol of horror and instills fear in various characters in the movie. It represents a hidden menace and the power to manipulate and control others. Like the One Ring, the mask becomes a coveted object that is used as a tool for the killer's murderous intentions. Throughout the movie, Sydney runs from the mask and fights back against it. But in the end, she dons the mask and uses it to fight back. It's not until after she has worn the mask that she is able to kill on her own. And there you have it, my comparison of Scream to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What do you think? Interesting. Interesting take. Um, it all makes sense. Interesting thing about Sydney putting on the mask. I thought that was a very interesting correlation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, that's a solid B plus, buddy. That was pretty good. I think that, you know, it's it's a hard pull to give on this. You have these characters that are um, teenagers, and we are asking them to be compared to epic characters. And the uh, and, and there's not a lot to go with. And I got to say that I, I thought that uh, Ghostface being Sauron, I, I thought that was a little weaker. And, and I wasn't real crazy about the idea of the ring being the mask itself until you got around to talking about having uh, the mask being donned oh so briefly by Sydney. And so I understand what you're getting at when you're talking about the mask serving a purpose and people use it for, for their own needs. And, and with that, I, I felt like it, it pulled that up a little bit more, but in general, I think I'm going to go with probably B minus. All right. B minus anything witty. No, I'm just still riding the A from last and week. That was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick, John. Are you ready to rate this flick? You don't have to gut me like a fish and hollow me out to get me there. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says, hey, you want to watch Scream? You're like, fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it, it's one and done. You've watched it and you know you're never going to watch it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell? Why did you make me watch that? I want one hour and 51 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm fucking going, guy. Yeah, it, Relax. It was Calm your down. pick. Uh, thank you, Captain Obvious. Both of you, keep talking and I'll gut you both like fishes. You go first. Scream, I felt, was a very interesting take on the horror genre. I remember when it came out and how much it affected me and just my pure love for the movies. Uh, it kept me guessing 
It made me have a good time. It made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, that opening is, in my opinion, one of the strongest movie openings in movie history. It is almost, almost a perfect film. But if you apply the slasher horror trope rules to this film, it falls in line with them and exceeds them. And it's just such a fun, fun movie. The score, the cast, the direction, the twist, the opening scream is easily 4.75 fucks. I was thinking somewhere up there like that. I didn't know if you'd go five. Almost. Would it change your opinion if I said that uh, gases and pheromones were being piped in to make them make all the bad decisions? No. All right. Who wants to go next? Do you want me to go next, Ken? You want me to go next, John? Don, who would you like to go next? I don't care. I'm indifferent. Don't you love that, John? Then I will go next. He made a fucking decision. I'm impressed. But before I 4.75 fucks. You love this movie almost as much as I do, and I don't think you're going to give it a five because the same reasons. I think there are other horror movies you like better. So 4.75 fucks. Final answer. What did I just fucking say? You didn't say final answer. I'm sorry. Final answer. Okay. When Scream came out, it was a revitalization of the horror genre. Since then, many horror movies that have followed have tried to work off the same formula. Its blend of horror, satire, and pop culture references set it apart from any other movie that came before it. The best part of Scream, at least in my opinion, is that it keeps you guessing. And once you finish the movie, the high level of rewatchability to spot clues and other angles uh, of the story is is just a great fun added aspect of the movie. The dialogue is fun. The plot twist work and the level of self-awareness is refreshing. The character development is well-rounded and relatable. For someone who doesn't like horror movies, Nev Campbell is a strong choice for Sydney, as well as all the other casting worked well in this movie. My only issue with this movie is that once you know who the killers are, even with its rewatchability, it's just not as much fun as the first time through. The whodunit draw is lost at this point, and I feel it's more like a movie where everything just feels so obvious who the killer or killers were all along. With each rewatch, to me, Scream loses a little bit more of its magic. Overall, Scream is a must-watch for any true horror fan, and definitely something I'd recommend to any fan of the genre. I'd even recommend this to folks who aren't big horror fans, as long as they don't mind a little bit of gore, or a lot of gore. It's a fun ride start to finish. So with that, I'm giving Scream 4.75 fucks. Bam! 4.75 fucks from the comic book guy. Hey there, Professor. Yes, sir. You're up there, buddy. Shocker. So for me, watching Scream for the first time last night, I have to say that I didn't necessarily have a whole bunch of expectations for it. I knew it's supposed to be a good movie. I know it's supposed to be a horror movie. And I know that it really takes the horror genre and uh, really turns itself inside out in, in talking about it and relating to other horror movies. And on that point, I think it's a satisfying watch. The characters are likable enough. I did not necessarily uh, get invested into any of the other characters besides Sydney. I thought Sydney. I 
I think that Sydney is a strong character, and I think that she was a, a, a really refreshing character to have in a horror genre just because of her temerity and her, as I stated earlier, her grit, her moxie, and the fact that she is willing to step up to the task at hand and she doesn't shirk away in, 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 in cowardice and in, in fright and trembling fear. And I found her to be a, uh, a very likable character that I could get behind. As for the, uh, the double killers at the end, I was close, but I didn't quite have that figured out. I was too busy watching the movie. I, I think I was probably like two or three minutes behind that. And I think that that was a, a good twist to have because you have these, these ghost sightings all over the place. It's like, how in the world can this ghost be everywhere? It, it, it's, too, it's too much. And so, okay, it works. There's some really nice dialogue in here too. I, I really, really enjoy you know, some of these occasional little pieces of dialogue. There, there was one that I liked uh, early on where we have, uh, the question isn't who I am. The question is, where am I? I? I really enjoyed these little pieces of dialogue that were written so smartly. And these things, I think, makes it a strong movie because you are really curious to hear what's the next thing that Ghostface is going to talk or say to his potential victims. I also appreciated how quickly the Ghostface character zipped around the room. He wasn't, he, he wasn't slow and menacing. He was menacing because he moved so fast. And I thought that that was a really nice touch as well. I think that the tension works well in this movie. And I think that it is a, a good, solid horror movie. I'm giving this movie three solid fucks. Three solid fucks from the professor. With three solid fucks from the professor, 4.75 fucks from both the comic book guy and myself, that gives Scream an average of 4.2 fucks, which puts it in the ninth spot, tied with Casino Royale, The Big Lebowski, The Breakfast Club, and Top Gun Maverick. It is slightly better than Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Big Fish, Spider-Man No Way Home, and slightly worse than Saving Private Ryan, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, Hot Fuzz, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. That was the one I was waiting to hear. I wanted to hear, is Scream going to come out a little bit above or a little bit below Nightmare on Elm Street? Ultimately, I think it comes in just a little bit below. And for me, and only me, it's because Elm Street came first. And Freddy is iconic. And no matter what happened after the first one, none of that happens without the first one. Mm -hmm. it, it, so. and, and our character that we get in Freddy is he is a fantastical character that is able to do things that we have no idea that he might be capable of in scream these are all people that are more or less based in real life so therefore they don't do anything necessarily fantastical let me ask you this question professor as someone who just watched scream for the first time and someone who's not typically big into horror movies does this make you want to watch any of the other scream movies no absolutely not because what it comes down to is what happens 90% of the time? Is the sequel better than the original? And when the original is really an effectively well-put movie or, or, or a well-played movie, 
the it's so rare to have a sequel live up to the first one. Yeah. What do you think? Does this does the sequel, the second one, live up to the first one? No. No. Do you? I don't think so either. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at www.threeguysinaflick.com, where we go ahead and post all of our podcasts, show notes, teasers for future podcasts, as well as we have a form on there you can submit for any movie you would like us to review in the future. You can also find us at all of social media or anywhere that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else out there who listens to us and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. And don't you think about turning off this podcast or I'll gut you like a fish. this a shot all right i like it that was rehearsal i think he's i think he knows how to boo and cheer i like his method acting i like i like i like what i see here what hi dad's podcast podcast she's 17 what are you gonna do poop clearly 17 but acting like five i feel like scream was missing a good amount of fart jokes like, like in scary movie Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> the, the scary movie where they do the, the what's it called, a scream? They make a lot of fart jokes, which I think was pretty funny. There you have it, folks. Uh, scary say. movie over scream. No, 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 no. That's what you just said. Pretty much. Scream is obviously better, but scary movie just had more fart jokes, which makes it funnier than scream, but scream isn't supposed to be funny. Well, I think what she's saying is that this movie would have gotten a five, if it had fart jokes. Oh, okay. Uh, what's your favorite Wes Craven movie? Uh, Friday the 13th. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Good job. The, the audience could not see Don and I staring at each other with I, our heads tilted. And who is that somebody, John? I, 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 I don't know what that means. Read the next paragraph. I was trying to do a lead-in for you. I didn't read this? Not the, not the fourth one. God damn it. <laughs> I thought I, I I thought I read it. They are interrupted by Gail's return, which gives Sydney a chance to stab Billy and kill Stu by dropping a television on his set. Uh, did you did you guys hear that? I heard you say SET set. Yeah, that was crazy. And it was as I was reading it and I said it in my head, this isn't right. This isn't right. It's funny how the brain works. Fucking nailed it, professor. Good job. Do we even have to ask the porn name. This one's just obvious. I think I think it is obvious, but we've done this before and we've all come up with different names. I have one. You have one. It's pretty obvious. Cream. Okay, there you go. There you go. Right? No, I don't have one. He's a fucking liar. He was coming up with creamer. <laughs> Creamy. Creamy. Yeah, well, there you go. That wins. Cream. Yeah. Cream two. Cream three. Cream four. Yeah, well, I think we were onto something here. Why would I do it? Because you sound like a killer. You are such a fucker. <laughs> Calling me a killer. 
Listen to this fucking guy. I said you sound like a killer. <sighs> Psycho sex. killer. Got me saying. Run, 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 run. Run, 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 run away. All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. Oh,